Cameron Winters. That's correct. The Cameron Winters. Unless you look on my Facebook. <laughs> then it's Cameron Summers, <laughs> which maybe we shouldn't publicly say that. Yeah, but. yeah, no, it does matter. <laughs> I, uh, I was telling you before, but I'm actually like genuinely super excited about this conversation. You've been one of these guys. I'll say that I've been aware of you mm-hmm. for, you know, years and like paths have crossed a little bit. And then recently I've learned more about you and gotten way more excited to, you know, I feel like I've got a captive audience now to like pick a brain of, <laughs> oh boy. and uh, like I was telling you before, you know, we could go down so many paths with, I know that you've built and sold at least several successful businesses mm-hmm. in the process right now, you know, of turning one around, which has been amazing for me to see <laughs> crushing hundred milers and ultra marathons and uh, you know, being a husband and a father and a churchman and, and mm-hmm. all these great things. Uh, so it's cool because, you know, when I, the, the trends of these conversations have been really conversations with people that I would consider high performers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been interesting to see, you know, how the mindset that applies to high performance translates from one field to another. Right. Um, but specifically, and we'll see, you know, where it goes, but I'm especially interested in picking your brain today about ultra marathon running and, uh, you know, running for running forever, running for more than a marathon. In fact, before I dive into my first question, um, I saw on Instagram today and I thought it was really cool. There was a reel and the caption said, uh, what's the average finish time or what, what, at what time do average people finish marathons? And then the response was that average people don't run marathons. And it was like this cool edit with music and stuff. Yeah. But even more uncommon is running further than a marathon. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I'm super excited to, you know, that I had my first, my first attempt at it. My first time ever running then further than, than 26.2. But before we get there, I want to hear from you. I want to hear your journey into ultra running and how it started, what sort of got you. Cause I feel like the sport definitely has increased in popularity recently. Mm-hmm. I feel like you've been, I'll even call it a early adopter, you know, early year. Yeah. Early year. There's a lot of people way before me. Tell me the story. when did you first get into it? Probably I'm bad with dates. Um, so what happened for me is in 2015, um, what was that? Eight years ago, I just literally woke up one day and said to my wife, I think I'm going to do the Boston Marathon. And I am not a runner. I was overweight and didn't, I thought running was just for crazy people, running in general. And uh, she said, she was a runner. She had done the Nike Women's Marathon in, uh, in uh, San Francisco when I met her two years in a row. And I just thought she was crazy. We went up to Salt Lake um, on a weekend vacation. And I went up for a training um, for aerobatics and hang gliding. And she went and did a half marathon. And I said, what the heck are you going to get up early in the morning and go run? And I didn't even go watch her. And she's like, you never even went. And I said, that's because that's stupid. Like, who (laughs) wants to do that? And then a couple years later, or a few years later, I just woke up one day and I was like, I'm going to do the Boston Marathon. And she said, you don't even run. Like, do you even know what the Boston Marathon is? I was like, well, I heard it's like a cool marathon and we'll go to Boston. So I'm going to do it. And she's like, well, no, you have to qualify for that marathon. (laughs) You have to sign up for Boston. For Boston. 
And so I looked online and I said, yeah, you have to do a qualifier and you have to do it in a qualifying time. And so I trained um, for about a month on the treadmill, got injured, my IT band, and that was it. Like I literally couldn't run it all for months. And uh, then the following year, winter comes and I was like, I need to still get in shape. And so I uh, went back to um, a training program and this time I was careful and really like followed the program, didn't try to like just jump ahead like, you know, we think we can early on in training. And I, I did a solid, I think five months of just training without doing any racing or anything. And everything was set on the date of my, my qualifier. And I remember going to the start line and it was the uh, Cottonwood Marathon in Provo Canyon. And uh, there was a guy holding up the number of the finish time that I needed to qualify for Boston. And uh, so I went up to him and I said, I'm sticking with you. You're my ticket to Boston. And then apparently like 75 other people decided to stick with him too. So I was like getting pushed off the road and everybody's just glued to this guy. And uh, like six, seven miles from the finish line, there was only me and one other guy left. Wow. And two miles later, the other guy who I'm running with saying, we're going to do this, we're qualifying today, he just threw his arms up in the air and he goes, I can't do it. And he just start, stopped and started walking. And the pacer looked at me and he goes, you're my guy, let's do this together. And he literally, on a big hill uh, into the wind, um, let me draft off of him. And uh, so he kind of pulled me over that big hill. And then on the downhill to the finish line, I kind of like got up by his side and and across the finish line a little bit in front of him, like not a minute, maybe 30 seconds in front of him. Wow. And and uh, he gave me a hug and my family came over and I was like, I'm going to Boston, my first marathon, I qualified. And then I went to apply and it's, I heard people saying, as I started bragging that I'm going to Boston, they were like, well, if you're close to the qualifying time, that doesn't mean that you're going to be accepted. You've got to be like three minutes under the qualifying time because there's so many people applying that have qualified. And I was like, crap, I'm going to have to go do another one of these things. <laughs> like, I don't, I'm not a runner. I'm surprised that you even... Because like when I finished my first marathon, I was done. I mean, I was like, I'm never running again. Mm -hmm. So I even think it's interesting that after finishing your first, you were like still, you know, had the vision on the goal of, of Boston. Boston. Even that alone is Yeah, is well, wild. Boston was the goal. And so then I had to train again, and I did another marathon a few months later and qualified su substantially less than the qualifying time. And... uh and so I went to Boston and on the bus going up to the start line with, what was it like, I don't even know, 25,000 people. Yeah. Um, I was sitting next to this Brazilian professional and, and I looked at him and I speak Portuguese. And I said, hey man, after this race, I'm done. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, this is Boston. Like, you trained like to get here. Why are you going to just quit? And I was like, because that was the goal. And uh, I got finished across the finish line, and I think I literally threw my shoes in the garbage can, and I was like, I'm done. Like, that was the thing, crossed off my list. 
now I can move on. I hate running. I never have liked it. And uh, that's basically where my story started. And then um, for two years, I did zero running. And we were on a cruise in the Caribbean with my family. And my parents were there. And my mom said, hey, Cameron, you know, we're eating like cruise food, which is exactly everything that's going to make you fat. (laughs) Right. And uh, I was fat. I had like big cheeks, big head. You should see my pictures. This is two years after qualifying for Boston. And uh, my mom said, let's make a goal to uh, lose some weight. Who can lose 10 pounds faster? And I was like, oh, mom, you're going to lose because I know how to lose weight if I want to. And she's like, no, no, I'm going to do this. Let's, uh, Let's like do this together. And so I said, well, then the stakes have to be high. She said, well, what's the stakes? And I said, okay, if I lose, I'm going to give you $1,000. She's like, okay, that sounds good. And I said, well, if you lose, you have to run a half marathon. Ooh. <laughs> and my mom is absolutely not a runner. And so she's like, that's impossible. I'm like, hey, it's going to cost me if I lose too. So we made this deal. I go down to the gym on the t- cruise ship, got on the treadmill. I ran three miles. And I couldn't walk the rest of the cruise for a week. Because you're sore? So sore. Yeah. I was like, I lost everything, completely like zero and plus some. And uh, we got home and I felt really like ashamed of myself for like letting myself go that far. And so I said, well, I need another goal. Boston was my goal last time. What's my goal this time? And so I said, I'm going to run 100 miles. And... uh, I had already heard about a race from a friend of mine, which was the Zion 100, and I uh, just went out the door one day and said, okay, told my wife, I said, I'm going to run 100 miles. I looked it up. It's doable. It's like you could go at, you know, 20-minute miles and, like, finish in the qualifying time. So I'm just going to go test this, and I'm going to go go uh, run 50 miles today. And she goes, you haven't even ran in two years, and you were sore last time on the cruise ship. I was like, you know, but you could walk. Like, I could go two miles an hour, and 25 hours, I'll be done with 50 miles. And uh, and so she said, okay. And so I parked at the rec center, and I went up um, 32nd Street to 250 and ran down there for, like, you know, to um, Dalton Ranch. And then I ran back, and... And I was starting to hurt pretty good. And then my wife met me at Burger King for lunch. And I had lunch with them. And then I took off down the river trail to the end. And then I went up around the college. And then I was like at mile 32. And I called my wife and I said, honey, you got to pick me up because I cannot walk. Like my feet quit working and my toes don't bend anymore. And I was in super pain. And uh, that's when I was like, I cannot finish 100 miles even walking. It's too far my body's not prepared. And so instead of doing that race, I found a race that happened two months later, which was the Bryce Canyon 50 miler. And I said, well, I just did 32. I'm sure I can get 50. And so I trained for a couple months and I did the Bryce Canyon 50 miler. And that was my first ultra. I'm glad I started with something less than a hundred. And I had lots of crazy experiences in that race and ended up doing okay. I got 33rd out of like, I don't know, 250 people. Wow. So it was, it was pretty good, but, you know, um, it was my introduction into ultras. So that's kind of how it started. And then the year later, I went back and I did the Zion. And then the year after that, I went and did it again, and I got second overall. So it was a big stepping of, 
a process of your body adapting and everything. So it's been a journey. Yeah. And I've, so I want to, I want to pick your brain more on, you know, some of the more like the tacto tactical Uh and, you know, specifics about ultra running. Mm -hmm. But before I do, I'm really fascinated to get into your mind a little bit. I think it's really powerful and uncommon that you would like set these enormous goals without even stepping toe in that world yet, mm-hmm. like Boston and a hundred mm-hmm. miler and whatever it might be. Have you always been like that? Like, have you always set these huge goals and then chase them or what, what was kind of the, cause I think, you know, the, there's probably a handful of people in the world mm-hmm. that, and to a, a layer deep, deeper to not only set these enormous goals without even like way unprepared, mm-hmm. but then also to achieve them mm-hmm. is I think really remarkable. And mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to hear a little more on your mindset behind that, or if those, that goal setting mentality has applied to other aspects of your life. Like where does that come from? Where does a guy wake up and go, I'm going to sign up for miler. Boston or do a hundred miler mm-hmm. and then somehow follow through with it. Cause, and I, I've come from a place of experience that, and I, I, you know, I, I love running mm-hmm. and for anybody listening that doesn't understand, those are massive goals. Mm-hmm. Like to qualify for Boston is unheard of. To run a hundred miler mm-hmm. is unheard of. For somebody to do both essentially off the couch is even more it's unheard crazy. of, let yeah. alone even set the goal and have the willpower to pursue it. Mm-hmm. So I would just love to hear more of your mindset and like where that came from and if that applies to other areas of your life too. So yes, um, it's always been my personality. And... Uh, as I've gotten older, um, I've learned that that nothing happens by chance, and in everything we do, there's um, you know there's there's a science behind it for say, and um, you look at anything, um, it, it's it's I I just imagine it as a road that has a lot of obstacles, and I just look at the first one in front of me, and I'm going to overcome that one. And then I take a step further, and there's another obstacle, and I'm like, okay, how do I overcome this one? And I keep my end goal in mind, knowing that if I just stick with it and I stay persistent, eventually I'm going to get there, or at least I'm going to attempt to get there, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get farther than you imagined. And so that's really, um, I think, the, the thing for me is breaking it down and Part of that breaking it down is is getting sound advice, using professionals to help you that have gone through the process, which I think is is a, a game changer. And surrounding yourself with people that that already do what you want to do, um, and I've done that from the get go in ultra running. I found the uh, best ultra runners, which luckily we live in Durango, Colorado, which is I would say a mecca. And so I found the um, number, I would say the number two or three best ultra runners in Durango, which are also the number two or three best ultra runners in the world. And, uh, and I um, reached out to them and started to hang out with them. And, and, and uh, one of them, I actually uh, had coach me and we would run together and, and uh, we would camp together and we would do adventure um, trips together and basically um, it was an ongoing process of picking his brain and through that process I was able to 
see myself in some regard of I want to be like him and having him teach me the things that he's gone through to get there and the tricks, which are actually um, completely the opposite of, of a marathon. It's, you know, you get into the science of it and you start like training like you do for a marathon and actually that can inhibit you um, in your ultra training because the science changes um, and a lot of us, because marathoning is so dominant in our society that we try to compare ultra running to marathoning and it, it's really different and it takes breaking it down to really, you know, excel at that different sport than just a standard marathon. Hmm. I think, and I won't, I'm going to have you unpack that, but I also think what a cool mindset that you have. I love that analogy of looking down a road and knowing that it's going to be filled with obstacles. I think that if more people could adopt that mindset when pursuing a goal, like already you knew that it's going to be tough. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a challenge. There's going to be an obstacle. You didn't even know what it was going to be. And you knew that after the first one, there would be another and another and another. And it's almost like before you even embarked on pursuing the goal, you were mentally prepared knowing that it's going to be really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, I don't know if you've read the books, the 10 X rule or not, but basically the gist of it is, is you're supposed to set your goals 10 times bigger than you think you should, Mm -hmm. but you also need to know you're going to have to do 10 times the work. Mm -hmm. Because I think so many times people go down this path, whether it's ultra running or business or just life, and they hit roadblock one or two or three and say, ah, yeah, this was, you know, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm not cut out for it. And so I love I love hearing that perspective from you of knowing that there was going to be like already buckling up for, mm-hmm. for the obstacles and the, and the hard times. And I think that that translates so well to ultra running yes, it too. Does. I mean, like without a doubt, you enter an ultra, you're going to be in pain. Mm-hmm. You're going to have, you know, the, uh, the, the roadblock, yep. so to speak. Lots so what them. a powerful parallel with, yeah, you know, really. mindset <laughs> and then, and then ultra running. I, I love it. But I'd love to hear what are some of the, you know, you talked about the differences between marathon training and ultra training. Mm -hmm. My guess would be that I fall into the category of that I made mistakes looking at it, you know, with the perspective from marathon training. And you even mentioned, you know, that they're such different sports. I'd love to just hear some of the, some of the bigger differences between the, the two and the notable, the notable different approaches for training on both. I mean, it's, it's vast, and I can give you some examples, like um, the shoes that we wear um, in a marathon. Marathon's all about running economy. It's, you know, this goes back to, like, the project with the, uh, the two-hour marathon, and it's all about what can you do to run most efficiently as fast as you can, and so, like, having carbon fiber in your shoes and being on your toes the entire time, and the fueling even that you do. And so if you take that same approach and you apply that to ultra-marathoning, it actually goes the opposite way. Because in an ultra, you're not running on a smooth surface. You're running on varied terrain, lots of different technical parts of it. And so your foot strike isn't just on the forefront of your foot. I said that wrong. The forefront of your foot. <laughs> it's, it's different every step. And they did a test on, I don't know if you've heard of Killian Jornet. Yeah. So they did a test on him with all these 
you know, probes and things on his body and his feet and everything, and him running in a mountain ultra. And they found that he varies completely one foot strike to the other, and his stride also changes. Whereas in a marathon, it's the same stride, it's the same foot strike, everything's the same. But in an ultra, you're giving your muscles a break so they don't just you know, just break apart. So you're hitting, doing heel striking, you're doing flat footing, you're doing forefront um, stepping. It's it's all different and the it all alters. Yeah, depending on the terrain you're on, depending on, you know, the uh, situation that you're in. So, you know, that's that's just a simple example of... You want to know a confession? What's that? You're going to laugh at me. Okay. Guess how I started my ultra? How? In Nike Alpha Flies. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. But, Hi. you know. Well, it wasn't. I mean, it's part of the mistakes I made. But I uh, shoes, I learned that lesson very quickly. Mm-hmm. I I ran the marathon in those. It, it went fine. Fine. I started the ultra in those. And I think I switched my shoes at like mile five. Like it was yeah. very quick that I learned that I needed to. Uh-huh. Um, but I learned how quickly a huge mistake I made is I did all my training in those uh-huh. and I did like short runs in these Under Armour yeah. running shoes. And, uh, anyway, I'm laughing. I'm literally laughing cause you're yeah. describing me perfectly. Oh my gosh. I started an ultra and Nike okay. alpha flies, but don't tell anyone. Okay. No, no, no. It's, it's, <laughs> it's part of the process. And I think that's where, you know, you start to see when you get into ultra running that, that a lot of this stuff doesn't really line up and you know um it's crazy because i get on the start line and and this is just my personality but i don't like people in front of me it just bugs me and i'm like you know i'm gonna pass that person and i'm always asking at the aid stations how many are in front of me and i'm picking them off and that's just like my game through the races you know like just catching people and so when you're running and you see all these guys at the start line that look like these like Olympic athletes that could just like do like a 220 marathon or some crazy fast thing like that. And then out on the trail at mile 70 and you're passing these guys and you're like, you know, I thought he was going to be done like hours in front of me, but they have a difficulty at applying the same principles and seeing that it doesn't really work that way. You know, your body does like break down over a hundred miles and you know, you have GI issues and you have like strategies with the heat and the cold. And, you know, like one of the biggest things that happens in, in mountain runs is the destructive um, thing that happens to your muscles by running downhill. Mm-hmm. And downhill running is like, it's a crazy pounding. And it's funny in the beginning of the races, you see people and they're just bombing down these hills. And you're like, I'll see every one of those guys like 50 miles from now because they're they're going too fast on the downhill and they're going to pay for it later. So, you know, it's really like a strategy of like pulling back what you think you're capable of and, you know, knowing that a hundred miles is a long ways and it's going to be okay. You're, you're still doing like a 12 minute mile, which is pretty fast in a mountain ultra. And, uh, and, uh, later in the race, you hopefully are still doing a 12 minute mile when the guys that started out with a nine, are like no more. Right. They're they're done for. Well, and I know I've noticed that with ultra running too. I feel like I'm trying to think how to explain it. It's almost like it's a leveling field. Because there's people that don't look athletic. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, you know, the you know, you're at the starting line and you're like that, you know, if you if some blind survey had to pick who's going to win, mm-hmm. 
usually not even close. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a bunch of average looking people. Yep. You know, certainly yep. not average people, right. but aesthetically, you know, looking average. I'm curious, do you think do you think that that's because of uh, how much of the mental component is involved in ultra that you know, n- normal athletes can actually compete and and be, you know, like you're skinny and fit, but you don't scream, you know, elite athlete, but mm-hmm. you go out and crush mm-hmm. these races. Meanwhile, you know, people who look mm-hmm. ripped and athletic uh, oftentimes, you know, fail. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious if you feel like a lot of that comes from the mindset side of things, training, maybe a combination. Yeah. I mean, endurance in general is, is something that um, I think is different than people that have the speed you know, you look at these track stars, and and uh, there was a guy. I was just running through uh, the uh, Redwood Forest, the national park, a couple years ago on these back trails, and I'm like 15 miles back in there, and this guy like comes up behind me and passes me, and he's just cruising down the trail like really fast, like maybe a, like under a 6:30 pace on a pretty technical trail, and I'm like, I'm gonna try to keep up with this guy, and uh, so I like. I'm killing myself trying to like just run for like two or three miles and keep up with him. And we hit this flat part and he slows down and he's like, you're a pretty good runner. And I'm like, I'm just trying to keep up with you. And I was like, you're a pretty good runner. And I said, are you like a, you know, like an ultra guy? And he goes, no, man, I'm, I'm like a sprinter. And I said, well, you're good. And he said, yeah, I'm um, qualifying for the Olympics right now. Wow. And I said, what event? And he said, 200 meter. Oh, wow. And so, but he's like, I don't know how you've done this for 15 miles. I started like two miles back in there. You're already like at 15 and you still got to go back the other way. And uh, he's like, what do you run? And I said, 100 miles. And he about fell over. He goes, people run 100 miles. And this guy is a legit Olympic um, runner. And he was blown away that people can just turn around and just do that kind of mileage. Yeah. So it it's different. And uh, yeah, I mean, you lay it out over, you know, 100 miles and it's like, we could probably beat these guys. We're normal Joes, but we live in the mountains and just dumb enough. <laughs> <laughs> there was a time that um, early on in, in my racing, I was out there and really struggling hard. And I looked around and I saw these people and it was in the middle of the night and you know, people are hurting at that point. And I, I was like, what are these people doing? Like, they're crazy. Like, they're out of their minds. They're out here running in 3 o'clock in the morning, and they've been running for 18 hours or whatever. And, like, what are they thinking? And then I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and then I was like, these are my people. Yeah. I found my place, like my happy place. It was like, there's other people like me. And it just was like all of a sudden a moment where I was – like comforted that I wasn't the only one that, you know, there's a group of us, a growing population of people that are kind of the crazy ones. And, uh, we find pleasure in doing these extreme, you know, races. Why do you think that is? Cause even you use the word happy place uh-huh. and cause I've been trying to figure out, you know, I, I have one experience so far, uh-huh. but I'm, hooked. I'm ap- actively signing up for others. Yep. And, you know, I mean, you know, I've told you, but you mentioned, you describe it as your happy place. 
And then there's this fact that it's definitely rapidly growing, the popularity in it. Mm -hmm. I'm curious your perspective or your thoughts on why. Well, here's my take, and this is just me, but I think that as a society, we are so blessed with comfort that, you know, we've got heated seats in our cars, we have warm showers, you know, we've, we live in soft, comfy beds and pillows and all this kind of stuff. Our whole life is about surrounding ourselves in comfort. And uh, I think it's a way that we can kind of go back to our natural selves mm -hmm. and say, you know, it wasn't always like this. People had hard, hard lives. Like, for the most of history, that's how it was. And I think that by going back there and, like, putting ourselves in these hard positions, it makes us stronger and it makes us see that, you know, we are tougher than we think and comfort isn't always something that we seek. And to me, that's something that I find the happiness in is that I don't always need comfort. You know, I, I haven't done a 200-miler yet, but you'll see people taking dirt naps all over on the trail. And they're like, you know, just laying there taking a 15-minute nap in the dirt. And it's like, this is good stuff. Let's, you know, let's keep going. And uh, so I think that it really, like, puts us back to, you know, appreciating, like, the things that we have and the lives that we live and all the blessings we, we have. Yeah, that idea of comfortability, I relate to that a lot because I think, you know, for most of humanity, we've been uncomfortable way more than we've been comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the, this evolution in human evolution is, mm -hmm. is relatively new. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I'm curious about, and, and it's speculative because I'm not sure if, but it, it's almost like you wonder if, if we don't understand really how far we've evolved, mm -hmm. like how hard life actually used to be. Like you, I, I've even had the thought cross my mind sometimes of, uh, I want, I wonder if they used to run ultras like to, in pursuit of food or game or, you know, tracking animals or who knows what, but there definitely is that component to it that feels natural mm -hmm. in a weird, it's hard to describe that unless you've done it, Yeah, but it feels, you almost feel connected right. and, and grounded. Mm -hmm. And then to your point too, and I love that, that afterwards you're in a different, it's almost like you're in a new state, mm -hmm. uh, even more than a mind state of, you know, modern challenges are perceived in a little bit of a different lens. And mm -hmm. it's almost like you become ready for those roadblocks, yep. you know, that you mentioned and, mm -hmm. and that you can then take the mental fortitude that you've learned through ultra running and apply it yeah. in these other ways. That's how I feel with it, you know, and I think there's a lot of people that still think we're crazy, but um, I don't... I honestly don't feel crazy at all. I, I do feel more natural and connected to like, to uh, how life, you know, how life is. It's not easy. And it's just another form of like, we just choose to, you know, see what we're capable of. And it's fascinating to me to look at it and see like, can I do this? And then, and then how the mind works with the body to pull these things together and actually cover these kind of distances in efficient manners. I mean, the, one of the first ultras was the Western States 100 with the competition with the horseback riders doing the 100 miler. And some guys like, I bet I can beat all these horseback riders. And, uh, you know, seeing that that is the case, and now it's like completely, 
you know, extremely fast at the times that these guys are pulling in that race. And, and it's like, wow, you know, us humans are amazing and we really can do more than we, than we think we can. Yeah. That was my big takeaway from, you know, my first one, because I, I think I told you this, but I made so many mistakes and step one for me was in pain and I was tight at mile 10, which is like unfathomable with how much I was training. And I've now like unlocked a new perspective of what we're capable of though. And it's a lot of that of, you know, cause for that one, for me, I went 105 kilometers, mm-hmm. um, like 65 mm-hmm. miles and change, but, um, it was like, holy cow, if I can go that far, that poorly, mm-hmm. you know, that poorly prepared and mm-hmm. that hurt. And in hindsight, I think I was even a little injured, but, um, you start to realize we really are capable of so much more than we realize. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, I wish that everybody got an opportunity to test their limits right. the way that, cause when it's, especially when it's an ultra, you know, it's raw. Mm-hmm. And like the only way to test the limit is to push through yep. the limit and keep going. But it is a, a profound experience that, to your point, almost feels natural. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've, it changed me. I definitely feel like I'm a, you know, more grounded and mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain it other than that I want more of it, you know? Yeah. Well, I had um, two buddies that went with me to um, the Kodiak 100 last weekend in California. And, um, one of them had never ran a hundred before. And, um, at the end of the race, he crossed the finish line and started crying uncontrollably. And I was like, are you crying because you're happy or because you're in so much pain? Yeah, like, give me some, yeah, give me some info what's here. happening here. And he's like, I don't know. And his buddy, who's my friend also, um, finished a few minutes in front of him and I saw him and congratulated him and he said Cameron I just have to tell you and I hate I don't disappoint you but I am never doing another hundred in my lifetime this is his second one and uh, today the three of us we only did this last weekend today the three of us signed up for Madeira 115 (laughs) so is that Paul yeah yeah yeah, love it I know and he was like I am never doing another one and today we all signed up and I was like Paul didn't you just say like at the finish line, you were never doing it again. And he's like, yeah, but you know, it's kind of like having a baby. You kind of forget pretty quick. Forget how miserable like. it was. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I kind of have, I get to blame you and Paul for, you know, mm-hmm. letting me kind of see I, him and I did a, we, we did a commercial for them and I spent basically a whole day with him. And I think you guys had just gotten back from a hundred K run yeah. in California. Uh-huh. And, uh, so I was like picking his brain and, you know, I was, prepping for my marathon, which, mm-hmm. and, uh, anyway, it's, 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 and I love the point you brought up earlier about, you know, surrounding yourself with who you want to be, mm-hmm. like even spending a day with Paul and getting to pick his brain was enough for me to be like, I should maybe think about this. Mm-hmm. Like maybe there is something yeah. to it. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, yeah, it's, it's cool to see that in action of like, you yes, know, spending time around the folks that, that, that you want to turn into. And then I've, totally. I've obviously, you know, follow your guys's you know, running journeys all the time. Yeah. It's just cool to see. Yeah. But yeah, that's interesting because to go from, and it happened so fast, like we're done. We're never doing this again, Cameron. Like I'm not doing, and you're probably going, yeah, I know you are. Right. And right. then a week later, you've already signed up. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. It, and I don't know what it is. I still 
am not one of those people that has um, that runner's high that is just like, I have to run today, but I really enjoy adventure. And, you know, this is in Madeira, Portugal, and it's on an island. It goes through three ecosystems from one end of the island to the other. Wow. Um, the race sold out in under an hour, 1,000 racers. So it's, it's going to be a massive, going to be a massive event, but, but just the adventure of seeing these new places and, you know, the challenges of that. And then the race to me is the, uh, it's the reward of all the training, but the training is where you have to enjoy every single day. You know, training is not something that is like miserable. I mean, it is miserable, but but it's something that has to have enjoyment in it, you know, that you have to be fulfilled and you have to feel like you're growing. And, and uh, I mean, the process, I guess, is what I'm saying, has to be enjoyable. And I love the process. So, you know, getting there on the start line and uh, my uh, good friend, Jason, that was also my coach, he was like, you know, that's the race is the celebration. Yeah. So what a great way to think of it. Yeah. Do you, you were telling me, I think it was this week actually. Um, or anyway, but whenever I saw you at the, at the fitness club, um, you were telling me about this concept of, I'm going to butcher it. Okay. But our, our governor. Yeah. Our central governor. Our central governor. Mm -hmm. Um, and the relationship between our minds and our bodies. Mm -hmm. Do you mind going down that path for me and telling me all about our, our central governor? Sure. Sure. I love, um, I love kind of diving into these wormholes of ultra running. Um, so the interesting thing about, about anything that we do basically is that our brain has to agree with us. And if it doesn't agree with us, it's going to hold us back. And I think this could apply to business. I think it could apply to um, obviously to ultra running and probably any kind of running and whatever other sports we do as well. But, but the more that you do and you repeat that thing, the more your body is allowed to keep going. So scientists, uh, I don't know, maybe in the last 15 years, um, researched if we actually had or didn't have a central governor. And through a long series of studies, um, they discovered that, yes, we do have a central governor and that it is there to protect us and that it is located in our brain. They didn't even know if that was the case. They thought it could be like cellular or some other form. But basically what the central governor does is it is going to say you're not taking another step because if you do, you're going to hurt yourself. And I'm here to make sure that you're not hurting yourself. And so... The first time you do 100, and I remember my first one, I was in so much pain at mile 70 that I couldn't walk. My right IT band was so stiff that I couldn't bend my leg, and I literally just drug my leg 30 miles to the finish line, and there was people hiking out on the trail, and I was just dragging my leg, and I would just be like, hey, guys, and they would just turn around and look at me like, what? happened to this guy a zombie it was a zombie and i fully like just was was struggling in that and it took me so long to get there and i remember just saying to myself cameron today you're gonna feel what it's like 
to do 100 miles, no matter what. I am going to this finish line. And I drug myself to the finish line. And afterwards, you know, you kind of look back on that experience and your brain also is kind of like, you know, looking back on that experience and it says, you know, you didn't kill me and I held you up. I held you up on purpose and yet you did it anyway and yet I'm still okay and my body's still okay. And so when I went to do the next one, I felt like I was stomping the ground for a hundred miles. Like, like there was no holding my body up. My brain basically said, I trust you now. I'm going to let you run. And that's obviously not just because of one race, but in training, which we can also talk about, um, you learn ways to trick the central governor, you know, basically by doing these long runs and, you know, the long runs aren't necessarily going to help you physically, like running, you know, a 50-mile um, run just out the door on a casual day isn't going to really, like, give you that much, you know, training. It might even break you down more than it helps you. But it's getting your brain to, like, in line with your body and say, we can do this kind of stuff. And the more you do it, and then you get to the start line, your brain's like, we did this last week in the Grand Canyon. Been here no before. big deal. Yep, we can do this today. And so it's cool to be able to like have that process happen and uh and see like the result of it. So that's really what the central governor is about. Well, and how wild, you know, because you always hear like mind over matter. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, it's all mental or whatever. It's crazy to hear the scientific reality that it genuinely is. Mm-hmm. And that your body is capable of so much more than your mind is letting you. And I think it'll help. It'll definitely, I think, help me, you know, because I've always trying to, I've, I've always kind of tried to be like educated about my endeavors as well as, you know, passionate and, mm-hmm. and pursuing, but it'll be interesting to see. And I think we can apply it where if you can realize that that's just your brain telling you not to, mm-hmm. which is probably way harder actually than just running a, you know, than doing any of the physical components mm-hmm. of it and, and knowing that you can override your brain to sort of unlock, un- unlock the next level mm-hmm. is just fascinating to me. Yeah. Like I, I can't, it, I, it's hard to even wrap my head around that, that there's this central governor there that you can, you know, override, so to speak mm-hmm. with training, obviously yep. mental training and, and you're capable of even more. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's it, almost it's, like you wonder where that line even is like the uh, real well, line. If you look at people like interviews with Courtney DeWalter, they ask her, and she, they're like, what about 200? She's like, farther. What about 300? She's like, farther. They're like, what about 500? She's like, the farther, the better. And, you know, you look at those kind of things, and they're still exploring. They're still wondering, like, how far can we go? And I'm like, 200's crazy. Even this last weekend, I was telling my buddy Bill here, I was like, I'm never doing a 200. And he just worked at aid station at the that Moab 240 last yeah. weekend. And he's like, dude, I was there, and, like, these guys are coming in at, and he was at two, 200 miles, um, the aid station. And he's like, there was one guy that came in and he looked great. And he DNF'd at 220. He just lost his attitude, his desire to run. And he's like, I'm just done. And, and then there was another guy that came in and he quit at like 230 with 10 miles to go. Jeez. And it's like, what's going on? And it's really all the mind. It's like, if you covered that far, 
it's no big deal. And then people at 100 miles are like, I'm halfway done. And if we run 100 miles, we're like, that's so far. Like, you know, it's 70 miles. I still got 30 miles to go. And it's all relative. It really is. And I think life in general is that way. You know, when you talk about like 10x and it's like set your goals bigger and it's like, well, you know, am I, I always ask myself, am I dreaming big enough? Mm. Because it's just a different perspective. If, you know, you go to one person, they're like, shoot, I was doing that in kindergarten and you're now thinking that's a big deal, you know, or whatever. But I always just say like, is it, is it, you know, am I accomplishing like what I'm capable of? And I think that's the, that's the fun of it is like discovery, discovering what you're capable of. Is that, you know, like learning what you're capable of and if you're dreaming big enough, is that the driving factor behind those, you know, I was talking to you a little bit earlier about those just crazy goal setting Mm -hmm. that you do. Do you feel like that's something that, is that kind of the mindset of it is that you want to live a life to your full, full potential, like live to the, to the limit of what you're capable of. Do you think that's kind of why you're, you set these huge goals and, and chase them? Or did that mindset happen, you know, as a result of chasing these huge goals? I think it's both. I think that when you, when you just like, if, if I say, okay, Ben, come with me, let's set a big goal together. And you're like, dude, that's like so far out of my realm. I'm not even going to imagine that. And yet you come with me and we do it. And you're like, that actually like just happened. Like we just pulled that off. Then the next time you're going to be like, I'm going to set that same size of goal again, because that was just like, is realistic. Like we can do this kind of stuff. And then you're like, there is no, there is no like limits. You know, you look at Elon Musk and it's like, well, what's his next goal? Yeah. It's like the guy's already doing all this. Like he's just dreaming. Like if we hung out with him, he'd probably be like, well, Hey, why don't you go, you know, get your own rocket. And we'll be like, maybe I will. Yeah. You know, wait, that's possible. (laughs) You know, like, well, and that's, you know, your philosophy of surrounding yourself with the people that you want to be like. Mm -hmm. I just think that's so, that's so powerful. So when I started Ascent Digital, I was terrified. I've always kind of felt like I was an entrepreneur, but never, you know, executed on truly like it's a lot like, you know, starting a hundred mile race. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, there was no turning back. Yep. I, I quit my job and, you know, started it. And uh, my dad told me, he's like, I bet you, you do, you know, and, and then he threw out this number for, for revenue for the first year. And I, I said, dad, you don't know anything. You don't know how crazy that is. Like, there's no way you're so off, you know, like you're, you don't know a thing. And then I did, I hit it. And uh, similarly, it's like, holy cow. I did that in one year. What could I do in 10? Mm-hmm. What could I, you know, like, whoa. And it, and also, and that's, I think why I've been so fascinated about kind of this parallels with entrepreneurialism and business and life in general and ultra running, because it's like the perfect parallel, the mm-hmm. perfect metaphor for all of it. Because, you know, to your point, setting these huge goals and overcoming the adversities and knowing that it's going to hurt, but like thriving mm-hmm. through that. And then I think the most powerful side of that is, you know, you mentioned these differences between, you know, the guy who's 70 miles into a hundred miler and goes, we're 70 miles in only 30 to go versus the guy who goes, we're only 70 miles in. There's still 30 mm-hmm. to go. And what a profound impact that can make on the actual physical mm-hmm. outcome. 
Well, I've got a quick story for you. I actually, and then I have one other thing I want to just kind of throw in based on your question because I think it's important. Um, but when I did the Zion um, the first time, I had a, a pretty severe foot injury. And I wasn't sure if I was even going to be able to run the race. And I think it was a mile like 35 or 40. I, I couldn't walk anymore. And I was like, I'm pretty sure my foot's fractured. And uh, I stopped at this aid station, and I told the guy, I was like, I think I'm done. And, you know, I worked hard to, like, get up to where I got. I don't know which place it was, but it was, like, maybe, like, 15 or something like that. And uh, and so I said, I'm just going to sit here and just, like, think about it, if I'm going to really, like, turn in my bib or not. And I watched probably, like, 100 people coming in. And they were just like doing fine and they're just, you know, filling up their water bottles and going back out on the trail. And I'm just like feeling bad for myself and how I'm like, you know, I suck and how I just can't even do this anymore. And then this is a crazy story because this guy came in and he had on this David Goggins t-shirt and, uh, and I had just finished reading his book like, you know, I don't know, a few weeks earlier or something like this. And I forget what it said, but it was something like, you know, like, I don't know, you know, his things like quit being a wimp or something like that, you know, yeah. keep going or some motto. And you don't know me, son. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was something like that. And I, it's been a while. I forget what it said, but I just remember like getting up and being like, he ran a, a ultra on a broken foot. I could do this too. And I took off down the trail, didn't even say bye to the people at the aid station and just started passing everybody. And I caught the guy with the David Goggins t-shirt like 30 miles later. And I was like, dude, I'm here because of your t-shirt, man. And I just gave him a high five. And I was like, I just left everybody. And I ended up getting, I think, fifth overall. Wow. And it was just like an enormous surge of, I can do this. And uh, sure, like it, the, it hurt, but I didn't care. I was like, I am finishing this race and this whole like, you know, excitement just like of energy and like, you know, adrenaline basically took over and it stayed there the whole race. Wow. And I told people as I passed them, I was like, I think I got a broken foot and I'm still finishing and this I'm race. Going, yeah. If, like if he can, I can. Yeah. Type of yep. perspective. Yep. Like why not me? Why not me? I can do this too. And I did great. And uh, I didn't have a fracture. It ended up being like, like just a, you know, a tendon problem or something. Um, but it just shows us that, yeah, we can, we can do hard things and we can, you know, do a lot harder things than we think. And, um, but the other comment that I wanted to make was um, about, like, why do I set these big goals and all this kind of stuff? And I, I know this is, like, you know, going to mess up people that hear this. And this is just me and my opinion, but maybe because of my age also, because I'm 48, I'm turning 50 in two years. And... I've had like an amazing life of crazy goals my whole life. Um, I've worked really hard doing all these things that I've done. And uh, I now I'm taking a different perspective on life in general. And I used to think that it's all about like, what can I accomplish? And now it's turning in my life to what is behind the reason for life is it just to accomplish crazy goals you know you look at these like 
professionals in any sport. And it's like, you know, they're going to retire. They're going to like, then what's going to be of them? Like they can't do their sport anymore because their body just isn't capable. Like what's after that? And, uh, you know, ultras are one special sport that we can do like into our seventies and eighties. You even see guys running big ultras. So that's exciting to me, but it's really recently like got me to question like what really matters and where should I spend my time and my focus and my energy. And, you know, I've slowed down a lot on, on some of these bigger goals. And now I'm like refocusing on to what values do I want and what things are important in my life. And, you know, I, I think that those are like the big questions to ask. And I almost am like, I wish I would have asked those questions earlier because I might've like made different decisions and been like, you know, they don't say like, at the end of your life, I wish I would have spent more time at the office. And um, so to me, like time is something you can't buy back. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Time is, time is where it's at. And how you spend that time to me is the quality of it all. So um, even, you know, in the last couple of years, especially, um, it's been like a really special time to look and like look inside and say, what really matters and am I doing what is going to like be gratifying for the second half of my life? Yeah. So that's just a side note. How, well, I want to unpack that a little bit cause it's interesting. Um, well, two things are interesting. So I had a few weeks ago, a guest on the podcast named Jesse O'Brien and he's a, a really, really remarkable guy. And he owns a couple of businesses in Austin, Texas, but he was basically telling me that, his business has evolved now where it's called Central Athlete. And there's really high performing founders and, you know, people that have made it in the business world are essentially now trying to buy back their health because it was so much of, you know, focused on, on one goal, um, you know, and some of the dilemmas associated with that. And then I also recently had a conversation with Dr. Doug Miller, psychologist on the podcast as well. And he shared with me a really interesting perspective because we were talking about the measurements of success and, you know, what do we call a successful life and, mm-hmm. and you know, and the way he explained it to me, and if he listens to this, he'll roll over because I'm sure I'm going to butcher it. But essentially that if we align our lives with our values and we stay in pursuit of a life that is aligned with our core values, that that in and of itself is success. Because you feel fulfilled, you feel like you're pursuing meaning, and you're doing the things that are important to you, you know, because of aligning life with values. And I thought it was so powerful. I think it's so interesting that you bring that up too, because I'm, I'm sitting across from a guy that checks all the boxes, you know, from the, the businesses, the mm-hmm. financial components, the family life, the physical health, I mean, all of that. And I think it's really powerful and interesting to hear some of the reframing of how you would prioritize things mm-hmm. and, you know, aligning it with values. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we get a sh- one shot at this. Right. And, we, you know, it might as well be. And when I was talking with Doug as well, he was kind of talking about these ideas of, you know, your life can either be a roller coaster or a merry-go-round. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if, if it's the merry-go-round, you know what you're going to get. If yeah. it's the roller coaster, you're going to get the highs 
and the lows and, you know, all of that, which is another parallel for, for ultra running. But, um, I think it's fascinating. So I'm curious now, you know, staring down the barrel of 50 Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I'll say that you have the benefit now of hindsight Mm -hmm. and, you know, the resume that goes with it and all of that. And you've talked about sort of reprioritizing how you spend your time with values and things Mm -hmm. like that. What does that look like? What, you know, what are the next 30 years look like in terms of balancing and and how you're going to spend your time? Well, first I would say 30 years is, is a short amount of time when you look like that's what you might have left. It's, uh, it's scary. And that's if that's on the good side, right? Something could happen between now and 30 years from now. Something could happen tonight. Could happen tonight. So I really look at that and I'm like, well, obviously like, you know, family and quality time, I think is a big deal because that's where, you know, that's where like those memories are and, you know, those, those special times that I think like you, you want to like hold on to. Um, I also think that a life that doesn't just include a lot of stress, um, is, is valuable where you can actually pause once in a while and appreciate like the surroundings that we have. Like, I mean, you know, we live in this amazing place, you know, we have great friends, we have this great community. Um, so I think those are like big deals. Um, obviously like on the top of the list with these, I would say is my health because without health, you can't enjoy any of them. Yeah. And so I think that that's, that's massive. And I'm, you know, I've told myself I will never not be healthy as long as I have a choice to like exercise and eat right and do these things. I think it's so valuable. Um, and then I have like my faith, you know, it's like, why are we here? Well, there's gotta be a reason cause I'm sitting here in this chair. So it's like, you know, kind of going back to that. And, and to me, those are, those are the things that I, I am looking at and I want to appreciate, you know, ultra running is, uh, actually one of those because I find a huge level of gratification, um, in, in, uh, being outside on trails and, you know, obviously, um, you know, we live, we live, uh, near the desert. We live near the mountains. We can almost like enjoy this process year round. And, um, I just love like, you know, we, we were out on the trail just this last week and, uh, and this was on the the CT up the Colorado trail. And it was, it was like, uh, one o'clock in the morning and we started at like 6 PM. And I was like, dude, why are we going to turn around? They're like, it's one o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, but that's sad. Like, the trail keeps going. Like, let's see what's around the next turn. Let's see the sunrise. Like, what's holding us back? If we got enough food and we got water and we got a filter, if we don't have water, then, you know, it's like just so awesome to be out there in nature. And and uh, I just can't get enough of that whole experience. It's it's incredible, incredible to me. So, so yeah, I think that's like a, a form of appreciating, like, what we've been given, you know, be able to see the sunrise, to be able to see the stars and Venus. I don't know if you've seen Venus in the morning. Yeah. Super bright right now. You know, it's like, those are really, really like, to me, like the gifts that we, we get to appreciate and running is, is outside, you know, it's not like we're stuck inside on a TV screen or something. Right. Even if we have to be, you, you've seen me spend a little time on the stair stepper this week yeah, and it's killing yeah. me, but. Uh, <laughs> Which I have some thoughts on that, by the way. Oh, do you? Um, 
Well, I want to hear them. <laughs> you want to hear them right now? Yeah. All right. So, um, so I heard you signed up for, is it the Antelope 100? Yep. Okay. So it's really, this is my take again. My, I, I have opinions, um, but I, I really think that that verdict, vert is one of the most important things you can do in ultra training. But more important than that is specific training for, it's called race specific. So if you're doing a race that, I don't know if there's any vert in that race, maybe like a little like bit. 10,000. Is there 10,000? Yeah. There is 10. Okay. I thought there was like maybe like 1,500 feet or something. No, like 10. It's 10. Yeah, between 8 and 10. Okay. So the main thing, depending on what it is, is basically getting about that much or maybe like 20% less per week in your training. So if your race is about 10,000, then doing about 8,000 feet of vert or thereabouts is like an ideal amount for your race. If you're going to do hard rock, it's 30,000. Yeah. Then you really got to be doing 30,000 a week for a block of training to adapt yourself to that, that amount of vert. And so it really comes down to that and looking at the race that you're planning for and what, you know, what type of trail it is and how much vert it has. Um, and so the stair stepper is a great way to like train for vert. Um, and you just spend as much time on it in a week as, so you want to get around 10,000 feet of vert. I don't know what you got today, probably two or three. Yeah, I don't know, but <laughs> I'm actually glad to hear that because I've been begrudgingly on the stair stepper because I'm waiting for this tendonitis to uh-huh. you know, go to bed. I'm hoping yeah. by next week I can actually start getting some miles in yeah. again. But so I, it's refreshing to hear that the stair stepper is uh, good. You know, a, a good one. It is, and the elliptical is also really good. Yeah. So you can switch between the two. and I was thinking back, too, to your, you know, just kind of like aligning your life with your values and, uh-huh. you know, how you want to spend your time and stuff and how running is. I just think it's, it's almost like, and you mentioned your faith and, you know, it's almost like there were some underlying tones of having more gratitude uh-huh. for living where we live and being healthy and spending time with your family and things like that. It's almost like running is a way of honoring that. I totally agree. Like, honoring your body, mm-hmm. honoring, you know, God's creations mm-hmm. and the mountains and the beauty and yep. time with people and things like that. It's almost like I was picking up on that. That's sort of this way of representing those beliefs, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a physical form, yep. which I think is, yeah, I, I think, think it's neat. I think that just the attitude of gratitude is powerful. And even another thing Jason told me in the race is he said, you know, that the race is a celebration. And he also says that um, smile every mile and thank every person at every aid station because they're out there like doing charity work, like they get nothing in return. And that actually expressing that gratitude probably literally makes an impact on your ability to keep going. It does. And he was saying all that because you're going to have a faster race. Wow. By having that positive attitude. And the gratitude, it's that powerful yep. having the gratitude. Yep. It's crazy. Yeah, it takes you out of that, that low, that dark place. You know, it makes you like feel happier when you're happy. You can run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. It's like the more I'm learning and uncovering with, you know, ultra running, the more fascinated I'm becoming uh-huh. and the more profound the whole experience. I mean, you'll also not meet, uh, you know, everybody that I've met in the ultra community is just such great 
people, mm-hmm. you know, because I think it's almost because by nature you have to be to be willing to to be crazy, as yeah. you put it, you know, to, yeah. to try to do it. So um, other curiosity, why not a 200er? You know, I like to sleep. That's my thing is I need, I need to sleep. Like I don't need a lot of sleep. I got up at 2 this morning and I started running at 4, 4.30. And, uh, you know, so I'm going to be like going to bed tonight like pretty early because I got to do the same thing tomorrow. But um, 200 miles is like, you know, I mean I can do 24 hours, 36 hours, no problem. And it's funny you see guys on the trail like asleep at mile like like literally 95. And I'm like, dude, you got five miles to the finish line. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm tired. I'm like, well, just run to the finish line. You can go to bed. You right. Know? He's like, oh, I'm too tired. And uh, I'm like, that's no problem for me. Like I can easily do a 36-hour race and be fine. But when you get into like four days, five days, you know, of, of running – and uh, I just had two buddies that did Tour de Jeans, um like three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago. And uh, it's, uh, I, it's somewhere around like 220 miles. And it has, it's, it's probably the toughest ultra in the world. Um, I think there's like 180,000 feet of vert in this race. Wow. It's insane. Insane. I mean, you think Hard Rock is 30,000. Which is insane. Insane. This is like six times bigger than Hard Rock, and uh, and they he my buddy Joe he said that he slept four hours and that's only because he was in some little shack up on the mountain and he fell asleep and this lady woke him up because he was shivering in the dark and she's like you better get out of here and he's like oh crap I've been asleep for three hours and he said that was the only time he slept in four days. Jeez, I'm like I don't think my body can do that, but um, my buddy Bill that just did the 240 he's like Cameron. All you have to do is 50 miles a day. You can do that in 17 hours, like no problem. And you basically get like a seven hour nap. You can sleep. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not going to win. And so that's where now my buddy Joe and Kyle are like, come do the Cocodona 250 with us, which is a hard, big yep. race. And uh, I'm like, you know, I might because I might just do my like 60 miles a day or 70 miles a day and then I'm going to sleep for four hours. Yeah. And they're going to race it and they're going to like sleep probably like 15 minutes the whole four days or whatever. And I'm like, I'm not into that. Like I like sleep. You'll have to balance your affinity for sleep and your competitiveness. Yeah. You know, like the two are going to contradict. I personally would love to see you do a a 200 mile. Uh, I, I know I could do it, but I mean, that's the thing is like, I mean, I also look at it, not that I'm like this good, but the world championship, um, which was in Slovenia last year, you have to have like a 700 ITRA score, the International Training Trail Running Association. You have to have a score of like 700 to be able to qualify to go to that race, kind of like a Boston qualifier. Thing. Interesting. And it's all the elites of the world. And it's like a dream of mine to like get into like, you know, a world qualifier. And uh, the only thing is, is if you do bad in a race, it's going to drop your ITRA score down. And so a lot of these pros will DNF a race because a DNF doesn't count as a lowering of your score. It just says you just didn't finish. You could have got hurt. Something could have happened. But if you 
finish poorly, then it's going to drop your score way down. And so I'm not that good. And now I'm like almost 50 and like people look at me like, why are you wanting to race? And I'm like, because that's just what I like to do. Like, I don't want to just finish. Why, why should I just finish? I already finished like a dozen of these things. It's like, I want to like, I want to win. I want to be first on the podium. And I still think there's like that potential. That's like me out there today. I'm like, dude, this next one, I'm going to like try to win it. Because you've been, you've podiumed a few, but never first. Never first. I've podiumed like four or five times. Wow. Like usually second or third. And, and, uh, but I'm like, um, I would love to win one of these races, but I got to drop my time like by four hours. Wow. And I'm at 21 hours and the winners are like in the 17s. So I've got- You're running 121? 21. Wow. And I, my first 100 was 33. So I've dropped 12 hours off my time from when I started till now. So there's been like this huge like shift in, in ability, but that four hours that separates me from like, you know, the legit like full-time pros in this sport. And there's usually one or two per race. And everybody else is behind them. And those are the guys I want to be up with. You just need to have the race that they don't show up at and you're crushing it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, you know, it still doesn't say I'm one of them. Right. You know, so I would love to pull off like a 17-hour 100 at a legit ultra and race these guys on their, their level. And have you ever thought about doing like a 24-hour like the one I did? Because that'd be, you know. For what? For pushing the speed. Well, no, because I like, I like competing. Yeah. Like, I want to see who's next to me, who's in front of me. You know, that's my drive. Who you can chase. Yeah. 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 It's just so fun. And, uh, yeah, so it's just, you know, it doesn't, in the end, it's like nobody cares. You know, nobody cares even if you get first. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't even like that guy because he got first. <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody else behind him. And, and I keep talking about my buddy Jason, but he's like, he always basically is first. And he says that for him, if somebody passes him, it's war. He's like... Unlocks that next... It, yeah, he's like, that's when I come unleashed. And I'm like, you know, when COVID was happening, I'm like, what about masks and stuff? Are you worried about masks? And he's like, dude, I don't see anybody the whole time. For the whole race, I'm by myself because I'm in the front. If somebody's up there, then now we have a problem. But, right. You know, I never see people. And then COVID's the least of my concerns at that yeah. point. Yeah. So it's like, that's a different perspective than the whole rest of the pack right. is like to be in that position. And, and I'm probably unrealistic because I'm like getting older and my body probably doesn't do what it would have 20 years ago. And I just started this like six years ago. Yeah. But also the flip side of that is look how far you've come. Yeah. It's been years. a great like, journey. It, you know, it is possible. I think, mm-hmm. you know, stick with it, have a few things go right. right you know, it, right. it's. Well, I've got a thing, a couple of things I'm testing right now and I keep testing them. And my buddy Joe is always laughing at me like, dude, just stick with the science, man. The science is there. And I'm like, but what if I do this? Maybe that'll like take me to that next level. And they're like, I doubt it. You're probably just going to injure yourself. <laughs> but I have tested a couple things and um, I still have more of that to do. And I still think that I can get to the next level. And so before Madeira in... April. I'm doing this test now, and uh, we'll see what happens in this next race. But I think it's possible. Yeah, I, I really do. It's all possible. Yeah. Cameron, thank you so much for you. being here. For uh, you know, 
inspiring me and for letting me, you know, pull a little bit from you. I know that there's, like I told you before, you know, off camera, there's like six different components of you I, I'm excited to unpack. I, you know, I have to pick one today, but uh, I genuinely appreciate it. You're, you make an impact. Thank you're, you. you're making an impact on me and our community um, and, and you're inspiring people. So tradition now is I, I've got these Inspire by Example shirts cool. that I wanted awesome. to give you. Thank you. Um, because you really are inspiring by example and by doing what you're doing. Awesome. And across the board, and I just think, you know, to, to kind of wrap up my thoughts with it, but it's so cool to see kind of the concept behind this chasing greatness mission that I'm on is, is this idea of holistic greatness, you know, not just in business or in running or in, you know, finance or whatever. And you fit into that category so perfectly with how you've balanced all these components of your life and still finding time to, you know, come and chat with me and just do all the things you do. And so I just want you to know how much I appreciate it and that uh, you're somebody I look up to and I, I really appreciate you sharing some of your wisdom with me today. Thank you, Ben. It's been a pleasure. It's awesome.